You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Fan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Fan, presented by the Hockey News. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs Fan, and you may be wondering, well, if some of you can't go back in time and maybe not know Maple Leaf history as well as some others do, who Squid is. Well, Squid happens to be legendary Maple Leaf, one-time captain, and also the first Toronto player to score 50 goals in a season. Now, he did that not only once, but three times in a row. Now, before some of you start chirping me and saying that Tom Simpson was the first player in Toronto <laughs> to score 50 goals, <laughs> end it right there, guys. Joining me is my partner here, Ricky Vive. How you doing, Squid? I'm great, Mike. Great, great. So we think we're going to, uh, I mean, I, I de- ideally what we want to do is we want to come to the fans every day and our listeners and provide them with some back history on the Maple Leafs. We're going to have some interesting guests today. we got Billy Derlego, who assisted on Rick's 50th goal when he scored it the first time in an 81-82. And the second time. I and remember. the second time he scored uh, on two of them. He is yeah. a part of those. Yeah. So that's what we're going to, and we're, and we're going to probably dive into a little bit more of the historical part of Maple Leafs. We'll touch on things in hockey. We'll talk about maybe the minor leagues, minor hockey, which is always a hot topic button uh you know situation and we'll see how that goes so anyway to start right off here i think what people want to know is where did the name squid come from oh boy this is uh we're going back we're going back 41 years i believe uh when i was playing for the birmingham bulls in the wha as a 19 year old of course who was my coach john brophy and uh we were doing power play at one end and everybody was kind of screwing around at the other end doing things. And it was our unit's turn to come down. And I was at the other end. So he was yelling. Of course, I'm, I came from PEI. So my Nick, they all called me Spud. And Brof is screaming and at the top of his lungs for me to come down. But he's yelling, squid. And, of course, he's from <laughs> Antigonish, Nova Scotia himself. And Hartsburg, Craig Hartsburg says to him, uh, who are you calling? And he said, Vive. And he said, you mean Spud? He said, Squid, Spud, I don't give a shit what you call him. He said worse than that, but I don't give a shit what you call him. Get him down here. So then I I go on to Vancouver, and everybody just called me RV and uh, get traded to Toronto. We're in Minnesota, and Dave Burroughs is standing beside me in warm-up. Craig Hartsburg comes up and says, how you doing, Squid? And then that was it. It just, it stuck after that. And it's been there for, well, now 40, 40 years. Well, I mean, so, I mean, on that, I mean, that's one of the fantastic things about hockey. I mean, it's a culture all in itself. And one of the cultural things that's unlike any other sport is, you know, as a hockey player, not always the case, but you know, you've arrived when you've been given a nickname. So just using that as a good segue into this next topic we're going to talk about, how about some nicknames? I mean, nicknames, I mean, even me and my minor level of playing, I was called everything from Tony to, uh, you know, to Wills to uh, Shaky because of Mike Shaky Walton and Mike Shaky Wills and all these type of things. So we would all have names. So, I mean, over the years, what are some of the- as good as Mike Walton? Was a, well, you know what? I probably could drink beer like him, I guess. <laughs> 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 but besides all of that, uh, you know, what were some of the names over the years that uh, have come up that uh, you think were real good names from players? For nicknames? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, I know Boris Salming had the nickname King, the King. Uh, I don't really want to delve into that because... Uh, just use your imagination, folks. 
Um, I didn't think. Dave Farish, uh, they called him Farley. And I'm, I'm not sure if it was a, after the actor or uh, they just did something with his last name. Uh, oh, boy, I'm trying to Well, what to about think. names some guys wouldn't have liked? Uh... I don't think many guys dislike their nickname. There were some that were thrown out after things happened on certain nights or days or whatever. And I'm sure they didn't like it very much. But, you know, at the same time, uh, there was a lot of nicknames that were thrown out that the guys said, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, and did just stuck So give us an example of ones for somebody. Uh, I, off the top of my head, I just, well, the king, uh, obviously. And uh, that's came in Toronto. So what about some of the coaches? Like, you know, the players must have had a few for coaches behind their backs. I mean, I know... Asshole. Yeah, that was what, yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect. That was pretty much it for all of them. Uh, if, if, if you didn't like the coach, that, that was kind of the norm. That was the nickname. So that would be, asshole asked me to do this today, and everybody know right away who they're talking absolutely. about. Absolutely. Everybody, would, as soon as you said asshole said this or asshole did that, they would know right away who you're talking about. Yeah, and that's funny. And so now, did any of the coaches ever catch on to you guys uh, in a, or address anybody about uh, being derogatory to them behind their back? Back in those days, you had to be very, very careful because they were they they were capable of doing just about anything, and you had to be careful uh, what you said and who you said it around so that they didn't find out. Yeah, so I mean, so I mean, different I, era, I, different era, different era, different era coaches, today. different era of players. Uh, it was completely different in those days. Well, today's era, I mean, the, the coach would have to go check with the player's agent before you could speak to him and address him on calling him a name. Well, well, the funny thing is, I said to someone the other day, I said, you know, when I played, and, and in my time and probably before my time and even a little bit afterwards, if the coach said, run through that wall right there, you asked him how you did on the way back. And now if the coach said, run through that wall, they're asked, well, wait a minute, what, why and what's in it for me? It's kind of like they, they need a whole thing on why it's profitable for them to run through that wall. So times have changed, there's no question. And uh, the players are different, the coaches are different, uh, the league is different, the way they handle the players is different. Uh, you know, guys are taken out of games. I mean, I don't know how many times I've played with broken bones in my feet, in my hands. Now you, you're right out of the game and you have a sports science team that looks after you and they nurse you back to health and then you come back. But I also understand why that is today and that's because they're big assets and they're paying them a lot of money. So they want to make sure that when they do play, they're at 100%. And uh, I guess they didn't give a shit about us back then. <laughs> if we were 100% or not, we want you to play. And that was... Kind of the thing uh, that was the biggest difference, I think, between then and now. Well, I mean, there's talk now that, I mean, they've been trying to protect the junior leagues and the league is getting so much younger and so much faster that there is talk to bypass players going back to junior and maybe going right directly to the AHL. That was on the general manager's meeting this week in Boca. So with that type of stepping up for the players, you know, it's going to change the whole dynamic once again because job security is probably at, a pretty high risk right now. Oh, there's no question about that. And, and well, actually, it is for the European players. They are allowed to play as an 18 or 19 year old in the, in the uh, American Hockey League, but the Canadians and the Americans are not, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, if they're going to have a rule, make it for everybody, and and that means if they don't allow it, 
then make it for everybody. And if they allow it, again, make it for the North American players and the European players. Well, I think that uh, just on that again, uh, boy, we're getting we're awful good at this, boy. I'll tell you, there's a, <laughs> a little segue into the new modern kid. And there's one in Toronto here, in, in Toronto, wearing number 34, that is after a number that you had set out uh, many, many, many years ago. Uh, the number was 54, and I saw a very a great headline on social media the other day that just said, Matthews strives for 55. Austin Matthews, as of this court recording, has 46 goals. He needs nine to break the record. Let's, if you could give him some advice, like, let's first off, let's talk about what you went through when you reached the 50-goal mark or approached the 50-goal mark. Did life change for you going to the rink? You notice you're getting a lot more attention. or Like, really, how did it all unfold for you? Yeah, it was, I guess when I was probably at about 45, actually, I got I got lucky. Uh, I was at 45, and the press were talking to me and talking about becoming the first Leaf to score 50 goals, of course. So I'm thinking, like, what are you talking about? Like, there were so many great players that played in Toronto. Nobody scored 50 goals in the last, like, 70 years or whatever the heck it was. And uh, they said, no, you'll be, you'd be the first. And I went, like, holy cow. But... I got lucky because I was at 45. I don't know how many games we had left, probably about eight or nine. And uh, I got four the next game against Chicago, Tony Esposito. He couldn't see from out, shots from outside the blue line. He scored two from outside the blue line. <laughs> but They still count. So I got the 49 right, you know, fairly quickly, and then I still had seven games left and uh, ended up getting five more. But, uh, but the one thing I do remember is – there, there was pressure, but, I mean, I, I loved pressure. I, I, I strived on it. Uh, you know, I, I left PEI when I was 17 years old, and I, I remember my parents waving to me because in PEI they don't have gates or anything, and you just walk out, climb up the stairs, get on the plane. They're waving to me, and I'm waving back, and in my head I'm saying to myself, I will never be back here to live full-time ever again because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. And... Uh, so that was uh, that was pretty cool. Now, what about who greeted you the next day to congratulate you? Uh, Frank Mahovich came in. He had 48. I broke his record. The next day, he came to practice, congratulated me, and took pictures with me. And uh, you know, I, I said all along, uh, if he breaks my record, I, I'd be more than happy to congratulate him. I I know how hard it is to score 50 goals or more in a season, and I'm sure he knows as well. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to do in any pro league. I, I don't care if you're talking about the American Hockey League, uh, you're talking about the ECHL, whatever it is, over in Europe. 50 goals is very, very difficult to do. And uh, so I'd love to be there to congratulate him when, when, when I, I think he will break it. There's no question. There's quite a few games left in the season. And uh, if he does, I, I'd love to be there to take a picture with him and congratulate him. Yeah, and I mean, I think you're, that that's the thing. Now, if you could offer him any advice, what, what would that be? Just that side of, just play your game. Relax, yeah. Just don't don't change anything. Like you, things are good. You're, he, he's a great goal scorer. He's got a, a fantastic shot. He's a great great player all around. Uh, he can do anything, and and just relax. Don't think about it. Don't think about I got to score six more goals or I got to score eight more goals or or whatever he might be thinking. Just 
Go out and do your do what you do naturally and just let it happen. Well, the players seem to be looking for him a lot more. Like they, he is the prime. I mean, obviously the pucks are going in, so he is the prime target on the power play. Yeah. But you can see players looking for him. So on that note, so let's I take can a, see him pressing a little bit. I well, see him taking some shots from places where he normally wouldn't. He would normally, you know, spin off the guy and make a pass and maybe go to another area. I see him taking those shots and. It's uncharacteristic of him. He he doesn't usually shoot from those places. So, uh, you know, it's got he's human. It's it's, it's got to be one on one. Yeah, but you gotta. It's that's one of the things I was able to do was to block things out, and it was one of the things that when I first went to Chicago, uh, when Mike Keenan came in there, he brought in a, a sports psychologist, uh, and we we did a bunch of classes and stuff with this guy, and I I. I was surprised because I I was already doing all that kind of stuff, and when I when I played in a game, I didn't hear anything. I did, I blocked everything out. I, I didn't even hear my teammates beside me on the bench, and I trained myself kind of the, to just hear the coach who's up next, and when I'm on the ice, my teammates. So I I don't know what it was. I just had the ability to do that to block it out. Block it out, and uh, I know it's not easy, but. For some reason, I had that ability when I was young and continued to do it. And uh, I did it at home, too. So here's a question Blocked out my parents a lot of well, times. Of <laughs> and uh, hopefully, hopefully, to goodness, probably Joyce the odd time, too. But uh, uh, I don't know, I'm sure she Well, I don't know how many times. I'd pro- probably put it in the thousands how many times. Are you listening? <laughs> did you hear what I said? <laughs> <laughs> I got the same problem at home with Debbie, okay? So we go through the same thing. So um, but here's one. Here's one, and we'll just we'll wrap this, uh, this portion of our segment with when you did hit the 54, all of a sudden you've made an accomplishment no Toronto players ever done before. Over the summer going into training camp, did it all of a sudden hit you that, wait a minute, I'm expected to hit that number. Is there a little added pressure on you then going in the following year to do it again? Because you don't want to be these, one of these one-year wonders. Or yeah, think, I didn't. Or feel, think I, I didn't feel that. I, I never really thought about it that much. I just uh, because I thought that I was capable of doing it again, and I had good centermen. Uh, I was I was young. I was I was in good shape. I was playing well, and I never really thought about it. it never crossed my mind. I just I went out and I played, and then I did it the next year, and you know then you know everybody would think, well, the pressure's on now. I mean, you know, and. And I, I did it a third time, and then all of a sudden, the next three years, it was 38, 39, and he's that wasn't good enough, so they slipping. traded me. <laughs> <laughs> and we can get into that one another time. But I think what we're going to do here is let's get Billy in here and get his view on some of these things that happened here in Toronto. So let's bring in our guest, Billy Derlego. Absolutely. Thrilled to join us on our, our inaugural podcast, and again, I want to throw that in, hopefully not our last, <laughs> that we've got one of the guys who's, I mean, he obviously he played in the middle with Rick a number of times here in Toronto. They hooked up together in Vancouver. Uh, this guy was just a prolific scorer himself coming out of junior hockey, none other than Billy Dorego. How are you doing today, my man? Good. Nice to be here. Great to have you. Now, listen, I mean, I got to get this one cleared up. I and mean, for those out there who really don't know a lot about Billy and a lot of these guys who don't know what happened back in the 80s with Ricky and of course with the 50 goals and Austin Matthews approaching that Rick's record of 54 it's becoming more and more prevalent for people and they're becoming more relevant again but I just want to throw these numbers at you listeners out there so listen to this in 1977-78 
Billy D scored in 52 games, scored 89 goals and had 63 assists and was not first team all-star. He scored 96 the next year, so that worked, and that got him first-team All-Star. And that was a record in the, the Western Hockey League until Ray Ferraro, I believe, yeah. broke it. Yeah. I mean, and I, two of his teammates were ahead of him. So Brian yeah, Propp and he scored 96 was the record, and then uh, Ray came in and yeah. played for the Wheat Kings too. Oh, did he? He yeah. played. In, he, I he didn't know that. 106 or something like that. I knew he broke your record, but I didn't know he played in yeah. Brandon as well. He played but. in Brandon, yeah, one I'm, year. Only played one now, year. Now, in that year too. You were supposed to be in Montreal. Yeah. This is a great story. Tell yeah. us this story. I was uh, went that summer to Team Canada Junior, 78. That was the first junior team. It was at the Orr Walton right. Sports so we, Camp. We went to the summer camp, and I met all the guys there, and Bobby Smith and yeah. all the top picks there. and, and uh, so I was shy, I think. I don't know if you met so me. So we were playing. <laughs> we'll get so into I was that. playing against the Regina Pats, and the next day yep. I was supposed to fly to Montreal eh, mm-hmm. for the tournament. Yep. I got hurt that night and uh, hurt my knee, so I was out for the year. And they called up, uh, did, guess who they called to replace me? Some 16-year-old kid, I Wayne believe. Wayne Gretzky, they called him. Uh, he was tearing up the Ontario League, I guess, and mm-hmm. uh, it was a good tr- good move by them. And a good move for him, too, also. I mean, because there was a guy that was, you know, tearing up the OHL, but again, he was 16. People were still wondering if this was real or not, or it was a yeah. flash. And I know that... A friend of ours played against him in Peterborough, and his dad was actually talking about sending him to Sweden to play in the Elite League to try and improve his skating. And then all of a sudden, Montreal came along. See, the, the draft was 20 then, eh? And to That's be right. 16 and compete against 20 year olds, it, it was uh, pretty But, uh, you know, a lot of people probably don't know that, that he was supposed to be there. And that was the first year they, yeah. they picked an all star team for the World Juniors. That's correct. And that was 70. 77, 78. Yeah. And then I think I believe after that they went back to the Memorial Cup winners for a couple of years and then decided to go back to the all-star team, and it's been like that ever since. But you imagine that. He was supposed to be there, and he got hurt, and Wayne Gretzky took his place. That's, and then he led the tournament in scoring, yeah, yeah. and then the rest is history, because obviously. In the summertime, he wasn't even playing junior then. No, he wasn't. No. And so he was still playing whatever – but yeah, some of the names on that team were just, yeah, I mean, I think you and I players, were, well, yeah. of course, Rick corrected me. I said, I think every player in that team played in National Hockey League, and Ricky corrected me and said, I think there was three that didn't. Yeah. So, <laughs> and they didn't win the tournament. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, I know a little history too, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was awesome, baby. But you think about how powerful that Russian team was. Yeah, that was the, the thing that nobody understood. When they say, well, you only won the bronze and you had all those great players like Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Smith. Mike Gardner. Mike Gardner. Yeah, and uh, Ryan, know, Ryan Walter, Stan Schmiel, I think. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, what a team. But the Russians also had all their their best players. Fedosov, uh, Kasatonov, Larianov, like all the stars that played in the National Hockey League many years later move were on that team. They could move the puck. That the, was the key. So, Billy, so, I mean, well, before we go any further, how about, well, we were talking about nicknames earlier. Billy D is one of your names. Any other names you That's have it. over the years? That's, That's the only it. one? Yeah. Like from uh, 16 years old, playing junior, to still now. So it's uh, Billy D. Is, and, and you know what? It works. It does. It yeah. just works. It's yeah, one of those rude, names. Billy D and the Squid and easy to remember. <laughs> and Johnny Rotten were the line. Jo- and John Johnny Anderson. Rotten. His yeah. name was Johnny Rotten because he had the hamburger place. Yeah. Furnace face sometimes. Well, for, yeah. <laughs> for the red face. He, he had, had a very red complexion, face. and his face would 
if he stayed a little too long on the shift, it would go bright so red. It matches here. His eyebrows would be light up like <laughs> light bulbs on his fluorescent lights on his eyebrows. Well, that's what you guys don't find him in a blackout. He, he so, a good player, and sneaking in from curfew. Okay, so you'd have be able to follow him out up the up the road or up the uh, stairs in the back of the hotel. We or never something. did that, Mike. Oh no, 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 no! Your guys, your guys would never do that. There was no sneaking. Okay? No sneaking at all. None <laughs> of that at all, guys. No, no, no. So Billy, so listen. So I mean, so then after that unbelievable year, ninety six goals, you go fourth overall to Vancouver. Walks us through that. I mean, you're walking into training camp, and the expectations are obviously very high with these numbers you got behind you. And just walk us through how that all went out. Yeah, Harry Neal was the coach. Yep. Went in there, and they had an older team. Yeah, and Pitt Martin was there, it was, and Chris Oddless, and all the centermen were older. And I, I was like a fourth liner, basically playing, and all I did was practice. And, and uh, but that's you did what you had to do, I guess. And uh, then I hurt my knee, and I was out for the whole year. And the next year, Ricky came in. Yeah, was the first round pick, and uh, he was going through the same thing that I was going through, sort of just practicing and the odd shift here and there, and. Uh, Finally, we just, uh, it was a good move to get us out of there because we were going nowhere. And uh, I think Toronto for giving us the opportunity to play. That's the good thing. Well, so let's, uh, let's back that up a step, though. Okay, so you two had never met before you hooked up together in Vancouver? Yeah. Okay, so he walks in, you're number four, you're number five, you're essentially a rookie your second year because yeah. you only played nine games. So the two of you, did you guys hit a rate off first day of training camp? Yeah, we, well, we, we skated after all the time. So <laughs> if all the team would go home and they seat or, uh, the mature guys, I guess, on the team. And uh, we hung out, we'd have lunch. and you know. Now, lunch. Okay, so now the, the story came out of you guys at the time was, you know, in Vancouver. I mean, here you are. I mean, let's, let's, let's put this right in perspective, boys. I mean, you're from Ottawa born, raised in PEI. You're from Brittle, Manitoba. I think your population was about 40. 40 people, yeah. Okay, so you guys aren't they coming to exactly. They're all their Legos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had 30 of them. Farm, farm boys, yeah. And, and you guys aren't exactly going to, coming from booming metropolises, moving to Vancouver. So all of a sudden, the lights, the you know, the attention, all those things. Did you it's guys, an adjustment. I mean, you guys fell into some of the trappings, obviously. So, I mean, you must have some good stories about you guys. Well, I'll tell you, when I, when I signed my contract there in Vancouver, I had this big press conference, and a guy asked me, he said, you're not too good defensively, you know. And I said, we always had the puck. So how can you play defensively? We always had the puck. Yeah. Like, we had a good team, okay? I just yeah. told him. And the next day in the paper, the guy, it's put Delego doesn't know how to play defense, a smart ass, and this kind of thing. You know, <laughs> this, you know, I couldn't believe it. But I was just telling him straight, when you got a good team, you control the play, right? Yeah. And it came out, he spun it sort of thing, but... So you guys, so, I mean, who were, how did the veteran shoot you guys coming in the door? Did these guys take you around and show you how did you guys just run off on your own? Oh, well, they were pretty good. Really good, they, yeah. They, uh, they treated us really, yeah. really well. Uh, they included us in everything. They always asked us if we wanted to, you know, go or join them or whatever. Uh, they were excellent. Uh, yeah, a good bunch of guys. Don Lever was our captain. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the era, I mean, coming from hockey where, I mean, the, the team that bonds together drinks together and, I mean, and, and, yeah. and parties. I mean, you guys, maybe you guys overindulged a little bit as rookies or? Well, I can tell you, I played for five different teams and, and, and friendship and with hockey players yep. in the league, they've all been good, okay? There's never been, there's never been an ass, let's say, okay? So, yeah. But they're all good guys, do that's anything for you. They play hard, you know, good, good people. Well, it's so, funny because someone asked me recently. He said, "Did is how many how many guys did you play with that you hated?" 
I said, yeah. well, hold on. First of all, hate's a pretty strong <laughs> word. I said, I never hated anybody. Should have said coaches. But, no, they didn't. They didn't say coaches. So oh, we were all asked that question. <laughs> so, so I said, listen. I said I can count on one hand how many guys I disliked a little bit, or they were different, and I didn't really get along with them. And I, I can count that on one hand. And I played with a lot of players yeah. uh, over thirteen or fourteen years pro. So That's true. Yeah. Um, it was. We were very very tight. We stuck together uh, through yep. thick and thin, and yep. that's just the way it was back then. It was uh, there wasn't four guys going here, four guys going yep. there, four guys going there. It was twenty some odd guys going to the same place all the time. Yeah, and that, and that worked. Whereas today yeah. they're going home play, playing video games till five in the morning. Until five in the morning, you know, yeah. and really. that's why they all got bags in their eyes when you see them skating. Right yeah. <laughs> no, uh, so well, we had them too, but that was for a different reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, of course. And uh, okay, so the, that day comes, Jake Milford drafted you both, yeah. and uh, you get the call to come to Toronto. So, how's walks yeah. through that day? Well, Jake kind of wasn't really the general manager at the time. He was, he was sick. Harry called me then. He was sick. It was Harry who called Harry him? was kind of filling in. And so, anyway, I'll let him tell him what he told him first, and then I'll. My story's a good one, too. The phone rang about 5.30 in the morning, I guess, and, and he says, sorry to wake you up, but uh, I wanted to tell you before, because in Toronto, three-hour time change before it gets to the Toronto media yep. and, and stuff like that. And she said, we just traded you to Toronto. I said, fantastic. You know, I, I was happy, okay, because <laughs> it wasn't playing anyway. So yeah. a change is always good. And I was, and I, I, and as soon as I got to Toronto, Punch told me that uh, we're going to play. And he stuck to his wording. That's all any mm -hmm. hockey player wants is a chance, right? And he gave us the chance, and uh, so remember that I day. got a hold of Ricky, and uh, I think he said they had to be at the rink at ten in the morning. I pack our stuff, and he said the plane leaves at one o'clock. Yeah, I said, "Well, jeez, we don't know when we're coming back, so you take as much as you can, I guess." And so it was election day that day. Yeah. <laughs> so me and Ricky. A couple of young guys. We were sort of going to have a couple of beers on the plane, I guess. And <laughs> so we put up the hand, and the waitress, uh, not the waitress, the stewardess, said, I'll have, a, I'll have a beer and bring my friend one here. We've got five hours to kill here. So <laughs> the captain on the uh, PA goes, uh, uh, Welcome aboard. And uh, uh, today is election day, and there'll be no booze served till the election is over or something. <laughs> I said, Oh my God. <laughs> But it was a good thing that happened, okay, because we got off the plane and there was a few reporters there, so it worked out just fine. Yeah. So that was good. So now what about your version of this? So it's well, mine was kind of different. I, I didn't have a place. I didn't have an apartment or anything. I lived with Glenn Hanlon in oh, Burnaby because right. there was no nothing available in Vancouver, believe it or not, when I got there. Uh, so uh, oh, I just... My, I lost the guy's name. Uh, who was the little guy I room with? Gary uh, Lupel. Gary Lupel. So we're going down. Uh, we get an apartment. Of course, the building's just being built. Mm -hmm. We're not getting in until February. So it's right beside Harry Neal's building where he lives. <laughs> so we get back from a 14-day road trip, and we finally get into our apartment. And it's like, so we had a little party, a little, little apartment warming thing. <laughs> Phone rings, like Billy said, I don't know what it was, 6 or 6.30 or whatever in the morning. 
And uh, you guys are all still awake, by the way. No, 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 no. I, I'm sound asleep. But, okay. Uh, well, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, but the phone rings, and I'm going, wait a minute. What the heck? Our phone's not hooked up yet. How can it be ringing? So I grab it, and I, I go, oh. And it's like Harry on the other line says, hey, Rick, it's Harry Neal. He says, buzz me in. I just slammed it down. I thought it was one of the guys screwing around, making, <laughs> joking around or something. So rings again. I realize it is Harry. So I hit the button, which I thought was the right button to hit to open the door. And then I go get Gary up, and I said, hey, we got to hide stuff. Harry's on his way up. So we, we're throwing bottles, beer bottles, you name it, just in cupboards, anywhere we could find. And uh, then it rings again. And he goes, you're not going to let me in? He said, forget it. Just come down to the front. So I go down to the front, and uh, I open the door. Harry walks in. He goes, uh, anyway, I just I wanted to let you know that we traded you to Toronto, and uh, you and uh, Builder Lego. And I said, really? I said, I haven't been here that you long. You just got there, yeah. And he goes, yeah, well... You know, and I said, well, I said, who did you get? And he said, Tiger Williams and Jerry Butler. And I, I actually laughed. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to, but I laughed. And I don't think he thought that was very funny. But anyway, Billy picked me up. His wife drove us to the airport that day. Uh, and I remember the <laughs> thing on the plane was hilarious. And I, I heard, Billy, you actually offered her a little bit more money than the cost of the beer. Yeah, we tried to bribe her with <laughs> federal law or something like that. been <laughs> arrested. So you guys saw Casey land in Toronto in the press. And so, I mean, again, here we go. I mean, here's this sort of, you know, follow the bouncing ball. Bertle, PEI, all of a sudden Vancouver. Well, you went Birmingham in between there. You know, Vancouver. And all of a sudden you come to the Mecca kind of uh, hockey coverage. And your first response landing and talking to the press. Well, t Tiger was pretty popular here. So. Well, that was going to be my next question. So here you guys are trading yeah. for two real popular players, particularly Tiger, but there was some thought that Punch was moving out to all of the bad guys well, that were associated with Daryl Sitter, who was the bad guy, and get rid of all his buddies. See, see, a month before they traded Lanny McDonald, so that wasn't too popular either. Okay? That's right. And then they trade Lan uh, Tiger. Well, that's where I'm going with this. Yes. So it's it's uh, it's not a good sit unless we perform. It's not good. Okay? I thought it was great because he had my number. <laughs> I wanted 22 in, in Vancouver. I, I couldn't get it. It was tough because they traded two of their big popular guys, eh? And and for a couple of young yeah guys, and, and we hadn't proved nothing, right? And uh, yeah, but uh, the media still is tough, but. We got we get along with it, okay. So how was the reception when you guys went in the uh, room with the players? Because again, it was very fractured dressing room. I would assume, right, with all the stuff going. We on We met with them punch. on the road and the, yeah, in the Long the Island, island which so was perfect. We stayed in Toronto that night, then flew to Long Island the next mm -hmm. day and played uh, there, and then we had another game on the road. Before we beat them we seven two that night. You got a goal and an two. assist, or two goals. Yeah. I got into a scrap. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Tommy was, we were winning 7-2. Yeah. And, and there's about two minutes game. to go in the game. And there's a, Tommy goes out and plays the puck in the corner, which he shouldn't have done. And uh, Gary Howard, remember him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like a real, yep. no, he is. he's biting and scratching type of guy. And the closest guy, he runs right over Palmy. So I'm the closest guy and you got to stand up sort of thing. 
So we have a little tussle, and then I get him in the headlock, and they tell me, let him go, let him go. And I says, uh, I can't, because he's been known to bite and scratch. <laughs> <laughs> and so they pulled him out sideways from my arm. <laughs> but he's a, it was, the first game was fantastic. And, and uh, from then on, it was, it was good. So well, what I, think, about- I think he touched on it was the main thing was that, you know, Punch called us into his office uh, when we got back. And he said, listen, you guys are going to get every opportunity to play. You're going to get lots of ice time. Just keep your nose clean and play hard. That's all he said to us. And, you know, as a player, that's all you ever wanted to hear. Yeah. You're going to get a great opportunity to play here. Yeah, get a chance. And we did. You know, and I, I think you guys every, did. Everything, you guys... Said, everything speaks for itself for what we did. And you guys delivered. Yeah. So I mean, now, now at that time, was it Joe? You played for Joe Crozier. Yeah. Well, who and didn't so, we play for? Yeah, that's it. Well, I was going to go through them. I so. think we had five coaches in seven yeah. years. Yeah. Where I was there. It was quite a few. I mean, there was Brophy, Nicolak, Maloney, Crozier. I mean, you, you had uh, you know, Dick Duff actually coached. Dick Duff for a two games. Yeah. yeah. And then he was, was crying when they replaced him because he he thought we quit on him. Dicky was. Good. He said we, Dicky, we just weren't that good. It wasn't your fault, but he just didn't understand that he thought we quit on him so because we didn't want him as a coach and he was he was almost he was pretty much in tears when he addressed us after uh, they replaced him so yeah and I, I mean that's hard. I mean you guys. it's hard I mean you know I, I felt bad for him but at the same time it's like no Dickie it's not your fault like we're just not that good and we weren't no I mean you know I mean if you look back though there were good players in that team but oh, the yeah. team just didn't perform well the, you know if you look back of all those years, we drafted really good hockey players. It was Harold Ballard. Yeah, that was the biggest problem. He was cheap. He wouldn't pay for a good general manager or good coaches. And in my mind, our general manager made big mistakes bringing in guys at 18 that weren't ready to play in the National Hockey League and should have went back to junior. But some of the guys you're referring yeah, to. Jim Benning. Jim Benning. Boimstruck. Fred Boimstruck. Uh, even Gary Nyland. Bobby Even McGill. though he, he was physically ready, yeah. uh, he, he, mentally he wasn't ready to play. The two goalies, too. Pardon me? The two the, goalies, yeah, too. Yeah, Bester, Reggett. Like, uh, I mean, there was more than that. I can't even remember half when, of them. When we first came here, we had a pretty good squad. Yeah. We had uh, Ian Trimble on defense. Yeah. We had uh, Dave Burrows. We had Boris Salming. We had it's, veteran defensemen. Yeah. Okay? And uh, forwards were with Sitz line, our line. And they had, uh, Laurie Wilf, Lashman, Wilf. And Wilf. And we, you know, there was only 16 teams in the league or something that time. 21. Was it then? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we thought we'd be in the top 10 next year for sure. If we kept the same team, yeah, and then they trade a few guys. They got Turnbull and, and Burrows, and and they brought in the, the young guys. Not it's not their fault, but they threw them into the fire right away. And it's not easy to play no defense in the league, and uh, especially in trial. And I felt sorry for them sometimes, but they got a chance to play too. But they needed some veteran guidance, I think. And Boria was the only. Yeah, he was the only veteran. He was the only bona fide star. Really yeah, Bob McGill, man, he fought everybody in the league, played hard. Like these kids played hard, but it was it was tough. I felt sorry. Yeah, it was tough. So let's get what you're talking about, Harold. How was? Let's go with your relationship with Harold. You got any funny stories with him? Actually, I don't. He treated me <laughs> great. Like people ask me my relationship. Like I signed like three contracts here, and, and never uh, a problem. And uh, there was no delay. It only took a couple of days to do the deal, and. Uh, well, I'm glad you he's had always, that. He's always, asked about, <laughs> no, he's always asked about my kids. And, yep. 
and stuff like that. And but I think I, I never because if he had a hurt on for you, it was tough. Okay. Yeah. Like, like it was. But when I seen him coming down the aisle into the gardens, I'd go down one of the side sides. <laughs> I wouldn't want to because you never know what was going to happen. Yeah. But he treated me fantastic. Like I got nothing bad to say. It was unbelievable. So he but, just signed the contracts and stayed out of his way and played good. Well, he didn't treat me that badly yeah, I either. Had no but, problem. With but I remember him. We were going to. We were actually <clears throat> getting on a charter, and uh, Gary Lehman actually reminded him, reminded me of it recently. And uh, he was there was myself, and then Harold behind me, and Gary was behind him. And that was at the time when my contract was coming up at the end yep. of that season. And uh, I think that was after the 50-goal season. And out of the blue, we're just walking up the stairs to get on the charter, and Harold says, if you think you're going to get another dime out of me, he says, it's not going to happen. And Gary Lehman was behind him, and he's, his eyes were like this, like, what was that? <laughs> you know, so, but I wasn't really worried about it. I, I, I knew that everything was going to work out, whether it be there or somewhere. maybe it would have to be somewhere else. Yep. And it turned out? It yeah. turned out. He gave me what we were asking for. And uh, uh, years later, I went through the same thing in Chicago. Uh, went there and scored 43. And uh, Bob Pulford offered me a $40,000 pay decrease. $40,000 less than what I was making. Like, Which in those days, I mean, on, to, to, comparative to today, it wasn't a lot. <clears throat> well, no. I mean, that's like 300 to 260,000. Yeah. He offered me uh, from 300. And then it went all summer, then we got an arbitration date set and he didn't like that. He told my agent that you know what happens if you go to arbitration. He said, "Yeah, you're going to trade him." He goes, "Okay, yeah, you, you got it. You know it's coming." And uh but I didn't he didn't trade me. They signed me and gave me a raise. <laughs> like it was just, it was kind of weird, but... Oh, well, that's the complexity. You had to sport. sit around all summer just wondering yeah. what the hell is going to happen, and then all of a sudden, bang, it's like, it's done. So, Billy, you with, uh, I mean, you must have, I mean, John Brophy, okay, there's, there's, <laughs> let's use this phrase here, a polarizing figure to to, to, to describe him probably at the best. I mean, you uh, must have I'll some tell stories. i two stories. Okay? i got to hear these. The first one is, is the first game of the year, okay? Yep. So we're all excited and stuff, and we're standing in, you know, the little words by the stick room there. <laughs> and he says, Billy, uh, I need one more win for 500 and uh, pro wins, he said. I mean, I look at him and I said, hey, that's minor league shit, okay? You need 500 more for 500, okay? You have no wins at all. He turned purple. You know how red he used to get? <laughs> so it wasn't a good start to our relationship. So, so a couple of weeks later, and we got the young team again. And so I'm a veteran, okay? And, and I think I just scored 40 goals or something like that. And I had 37 the yeah. year before. So life was pretty good. I was pretty good. Comfortable, let's say. Yes, that's good. That's good. And after practice, he'd say, Bill, I want you to go do a few laps. I'm doing the, I want you to go uh, ride the bike, okay? I says, you got seven rookies in the room there that are playing once. You know, I'm a veteran. But I said, okay, I'll go do it. So I go into the room, <laughs> and uh, I grabbed a cup of coffee, and I, I took my smokes with me. <laughs> so I'm just sitting on the bike watching TV, and I'm having a smoke and drinking my coffee. He comes in and says, if you're not going to try, go home. And I just looked at him and says, I'll see you tomorrow. 
<laughs> I thought he, that was one of the greatest. He went purple again. His face went so red. Well, it always went red. Yeah. I mean, it, he's a good guy, but he's he's a different man. I'll tell you. He loved to win. He loved the guys. Yeah, that's the thing. If you Brof loved you, if you worked your ass off, and and if you weren't a you know an ass kisser or whatever, and and Brof was that type of guy. I myself had him in Birmingham, and then again in Toronto. I loved the man. I really did, and uh, he was good to me. Um, but he just, he just lost. Is there any players he really picked on? Oh, geez. Well, yeah. he pretty much picked on everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what's some of the worst things he would do to a guy? Like he would rip him down in front of everybody. I, I assume. Uh, or no, not necessarily. No. He always wanted the best for the guy, but the circumstances we were in sometimes were guys were young, eh? Yep. And they were always the stars of their teams. Like you got eighteen, nineteen-year-olds, and they were never spoken to like that before. Okay, or treated yeah. like that, and they were always the star and babies. Okay. All of a sudden, they're getting yelled at, and they're not the star anymore. And it's a it's a, an adjustment period, I think, for for the young guys. And it's, it's not it wasn't a good thing, but we got through it though. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that you know, you know, Squid, you and I have talked about a lot is the fact that the the kids that come in into the league, even today or any time. What happens is these guys usually start when they're six years old, right yeah. up until junior. They like everything is centered around them, and all of a sudden, when they show up at their first NHL camp, there's a room full of guys exactly like them. So it's the guy who can separate himself from that to play at an elite level. Like we see guys like Crosby who do it, but I mean that's that's the exception. But guys who can separate themselves from the pack are the guys that are successful. And if they can't take this sort of talk, yeah, whether it's abusive, hard, or whatever it is. They're not going to survive. I don't care what league you're going into, even if you're going into the American Hockey League. If you're 18 years old, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, you're not mature physically, mentally, and you're not ready for all the stuff that comes your way. Whether that was in our day, whether it's today, it's still the same. Yeah, I was uh, 20 and when I got drafted, no, and I still wasn't ready. Like, yeah, there's a lot coming at you uh, real quick. So once again, which brings back the bonding of players. You know, and that's why you guys kind of stuck together. Like, I know there's a story about the Maple Leaf teams. If you talk to guys from that area, they'll say that uh, the teams weren't very good, but those guys sure stuck together and partied well. Well, we did. Uh, everybody had everybody's back. back Which I is mean, a good thing. You know, Vancouver especially. That was unbelievable how everybody had each other's back and looked after each other in Vancouver. And uh, so it, it was fabulous. Yeah, the guys – as we said, the guys are all good, and we're there to make a buck and play hockey. Some we would have played for nothing, okay, because we love the game so much. You know, salaries weren't that high. I don't know if we would have played for nothing. I would have played. <laughs> I would have played just to make my dad happy and stuff. I might have played one year for nothing. Yeah, well, one <laughs> year, one okay, year, but okay. Yeah, but still, it, it I'm was, in. It was it was my dream. And I'm sure it was everybody's dream yeah. to play. So, what's your relationship with Danny Maloney now? You know, from player to coach. Well, Billy, I'm gonna say well. He lived in Mississauga. We carpooled for five years. We were line mates. Like God bless him yep. and, and line mates, and uh, we liked skating with him because yeah, we only had skating go... drills because we could snowshoes. Yeah, so it was good. It's, we only was... had to go three quarters or <laughs> but thereabouts. It, it, to... it was a tough relationship because he, when you become a player, then become coach, and and then. And, uh, well, he, well, benched, he benched you guys he, once. Well, what happened? He wasn't allowed. But God to... bless him. He was, he was, Hard-working guy. Dan was a great guy, too. Uh, again, yeah, like as Billy said, God bless him. He just passed away not long ago. And um, 
the it, one of the young players went to Jerry McNamara, who's a general manager, about Danny yelling at him. So Jerry, of course, went to Danny and said, "You're not allowed to yell at the young players." So he took it out on on us. So we well, that's we, you, Billy, and Johnny Anderson. Well, this particular time, oh, yes. that time, okay. But so we lost two games in a row. Friday night, uh, or I think it was a Saturday night at home. And then a Sunday in, uh, I believe it was Washington. And Monday morning, you know, you get the paper delivered and the headline says Maloney blames Derlego's line for loss, which was him and I and Billy. It's uh, not good when John Anderson. On the front page. No. <laughs> but I, I know that the writers don't make the headlines. Yeah. You know, it's the publisher or whatever. And, and, you know, sometimes it's different than what's actually in the article. But I read the article. And he actually did blame us and said it was our fault. So the next day, we're that day we're at practice, and uh, at, at the end of practice, blows a whistle, says, okay, everybody come in. And he goes, everybody off the ice. Walt Pedubney was coming back from an injury, and he said, Walt, Billy, John, Rick, you stay on the ice. I'm like, what the hell is this? Anyway, he says, okay. They're Lego and Vibe, start, you guys start skating this way. And I, well, of course I was really pissed off. And I shouldn't have probably done what I did. I mean, the press are right there by the boards at the garden. You and, shouldn't have done and, that. But I said, I said, oh, I said, you gotta blame someone, eh? Cause you can't yell at the young guys anymore. So you're taking it out on us. And then, then I started skating and he's chasing me. And he's yelling at me. I got scared. Eh? And I'm just saying, and, I, and I'm yelling, I'm yelling back at him, and I'm telling him to fuck off, whatever, get out of here. And then Brof comes up to me, and Bro and Brof and I are, are friends, and yeah, I already played for him once. He goes, Squid, Squid, come on, like settle down. I go, and I, I just gave it to him too, and I said, you old, and I get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so anyway, the next home game, he benches the three of us. Halfway through the first, I think it was, he started playing Billy and John. He sat me the whole game. And I remember there was a guy up in the stands behind us, and you know how quiet the gardens could oh, get. Yeah. I'll never forget and that. And that guy said, hey, Rick, he said, you're not very busy right now. Can you go get me a hot dog? <laughs> and I wanted to turn around so bad and ask him what he wanted on it. But Danny moved with me all the way on, on the bench, everywhere I went. He had his foot up on the bench right behind me, and I was worried that he was going to punch me in the head or in the face if I had a, got up and said that. But, and then right near the end of the game, I think we were down two or three, and he put me out there with like half a minute left or something. There was a face-off in there, mm -hmm. and, and, and I, I wanted to ask him if he wanted me to tie it or if he wanted me to actually win it. And we were down two or three. I can't remember. <laughs> But I didn't, and because uh, that would have made things just worse. But uh, and then after that, I think it was okay. So just, they just it's not an down. easy job still to coach here in Toronto. No, it's still not. not easy. No, no. I mean you, you could win seven in a row and lose three, and you're you're out. You're in the bad books. It's, yeah. it's a tough job, man. It's bad, and you know, it's, it's tough to play. It's tough to uh, coach. It's tough to be associated with this team at times, unless it wins. You know what? You got to have. You gotta have thick skin to play in in Toronto, and I'm sure it's probably the same in Montreal. Yeah, Montreal too, for sure. Uh, if you can't handle a little criticism being thrown at you in the in the in the press or or whatever, you're not going to survive in, no. in in this market or in Montreal. And thankfully, 
Well, so there's times where I wish I had his disposition. Uh, he was probably the easiest going guy I ever met. And I, I don't know how the hell he just let it, you know, like water off his, his back. And there's times where I'm glad I didn't because I never would have gotten out of PEI probably if I had of. But then later on, during our playing days, there were a lot of days where I wish I was like Billy and I could have just said, ah, let it go. Don't worry about it, Rick. So, yeah, but Billy, you had now so then partway through your final marriage trying to get traded to Boston. So how would, did you, what was your sense of feeling at that point? Like, you know, this is, I'm kind of on the downside of no, this. No, I just and, signed the contract that summer and, I, and Harold said, you know, I'll be around forever. That's basically what he told me. I said, okay, no problems. I said, I'm going to renovate the house, you know. <laughs> Start renovating the house. Hadn't lived there all summer. Just get back in the week before a training camp. Go through training camp. That's Wendell Clark's first year, right? Yeah. So we play our first game in Boston. And we do pretty good. I think I had a pretty good game, which is uh, unusual. <laughs> but after the game, I'm sitting there. And we lost 2-1. to one. I think I was I think, second yeah. star or something like that. And we're sitting there. And I got God. You know, just sitting relaxing there. Maloney comes in. He says, I want to talk to you. I says, good. Come over there. And he says, we just traded you to Boston. I said, really? He said, yeah. Take your time. He says, you're not going anywhere. You have to so go far. I'm sort of sitting there and going. He says, the, the Boston trainer will come over and get your stuff. You know, and then and I go. And, and I don't have anything because we flew in that day and we're flying out. All I got is a shaving kit. <laughs> So I said, okay. So why'd you trade me? He said, you, you're too old. Like I was 28 or 27. <laughs> I said, too old. And he said, yeah, we need a younger guy, Tommy Ferguson. He was like 22, uh, 23, 21 or something. He was yeah, younger. probably at the time he was about 22 yeah, or 23. But it was, uh, it worked out okay. That's so I, good. Had, I asked the trainer, I want to be flying to, uh, he said, we're going on the road for two weeks, they so. <laughs> And I had a little bag. A little bag. <laughs> so any memorable stories from Boston? That you can recall? Good team. Good sports team. Going the whole city, yes. Yeah. And uh, good players. Or Ray Bork, good player. I mean, socially, uh, how are the players treated? Like in Toronto, too, which I'm going to. I mean, in Toronto, you know, the players are put on a pedestal. But it's same in Boston, being yeah. a sports town. Yeah. But N was Nifty there? Yeah. Middleton? Yeah. I played with Rick Middleton and uh, uh, Dave Reed. Oh, reader. So it was a pretty good line. We got some ice time and they killed penalties a little bit. One of the other things. a good you, sports town. I mean, one of the things you can touch on, like, we talk about sometimes the tough part for playing in Toronto, but some of the good things might be playing in Toronto. Tiger Williams, I know, uh, I spoke to him one time and he talked about when he went to Vancouver. You, I think I've told you this one's good before. We, he came out of practice when he first arrived and said, okay, boys, where do we look after? Who looks after houses and their car and all this kind of stuff, like all kind of the freebie stuff? And the guys were looking as well. He knows that dealership and he knows somebody over that was a real estate agent but well where restaurants do we eat at well no th this one over here is pretty good in other words there was nothing yeah. whereas in Toronto this stuff was all sort of given to you so I mean you guys walk into Toronto and this is the kind of I mean pick up yeah. from here we actually as soon as we got traded we contacted each other he contacted me and we switched houses eh? yeah. instead of staying in a hotel so we just give the car keys and the house key and switched houses and I'll see you in the summertime. So it was perfect. I know the uh, guy who used to give you guys car cars. He played. You he had a uh, Harry, Harry Brailsford. Harry Brailsford. Yeah, yeah. I, and know, then, I had to pay for mine. I don't know if we got a free one. <laughs> no, I never. I never 
I, well, not from him, but I got free ones later on in my career in Toronto for, actually I had two of them, because uh, I did a commercial for, uh, I did an, a, a commercial in Italian, believe it or not, um, and uh, Plaza Pontiac was the place, yeah. and uh, they gave me two vehicles, one for my wife, one for me. So I went a couple of years where I never owned a, owned a vehicle, got them free. So you guys, uh, all right, so now we're, we're, you know, we could talk to you all day here, Billy, but we've got to get a couple minutes here to go through a few things. Um, some of the lighter things. One of the, like, who's one of the biggest pranksters you ever played with during your years? Besides him? Was it him? <laughs> yeah, he was, he was one of the worst. Oh, no, no, I wasn't. It wasn't me. <laughs> well, okay, okay, one of your best pranks. He always said it wasn't him. <laughs> okay, one of your best pranks. <laughs> I never did it. I, it, it. It felt like I did stuff, but it wasn't me. Like <laughs> you I, ju were you just the I architect? I never hurt anybody him? intentionally. That's I was... I'd suggest to somebody else you should. This is what you should do, but it's. Uh, so give us one of those examples where you, where you just sort of direct at somebody on what to do. No, there, there was nail your, of, nail your shoes to the floor. Okay, uh, cut your. I'm do, you know, just a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Someone tied my jeans in a knot one day. I swear to God, it took me an hour and a half to get it out. It was so yeah, tight, just, I just couldn't get it out. The usual, so I had to sit in the room for an hour and a half. The usual stupid stuff, like if, I, if, he, if the guy's not there and the practice is in 15 minutes, you'd go cut the skate laces yeah. and, just to make it slower, right? That's, oh, yeah, so you'd be <laughs> late. One of, the best, them, so. one of the just best. One of the best. Stupid stuff. Was get a big garbage can and fill it with water at the, and on the road and put it up against the guy's door and knock on the door. When he opens it, it just all flows right into the, the room. <laughs> I'll tell you one story. That was It wasn't really a prank, but it was... Uh, we were coming from LA, and on the plane, oh, punch! Uh, Joe Crozier says we're going straight to the rink. Yep. We just been on the road for like ten days and got our ass kicked, and so everybody wants us to go home. Okay, after a five-hour flight, so we go to the rink and we practice. And one of the guys had a you could buy duty free and stuff. Had a jug of vodka, bringing it across the border. And so big, big jugs. You know the, the the water cooler with the lemonade in it, where yeah. it bubbles. Like yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy, I don't know who he is. He pours the whole vodka into the <laughs> the whole bottle into the thing. Yeah, so and you sitting, don't know who he is. I'm sitting, I'm sitting beside Ian Turnbull, and, and he said, "We're gonna watch a video now." So he said, "Everybody get their drinks and go sit down." The coach said it. <laughs> said okay, and Ian's it's like a movie theater. He said. <laughs> And then Harold went over and, and put his little oh, cup that in was there. the funniest. Had a couple of drinks and this. That sort of thing happened. That happened occasionally, though, right? Yeah, like you knew was, nothing about it. You no, just got I just, told these after. I know the guy that did it. You know the guy who did it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think you and I know him. Too. I think we have a pretty good idea. So uh, here's another one for you guys. They always talk about Rick initiations and all that kind of stuff. You can talk about it. But money on the board. Was that big when you guys were around? Yeah. So it was one of the better ones you would see. But the did all the teammates buy in on that one? You make it fifty grand. How can you put money on the board? Yes. Uh, you, you put a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. I, never I mean, that. Well, I mean, you look what they're doing. I mean, the guy buys a car now, and they got to put money on the board. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we did sometimes. I, I don't know. We didn't make people do it. Uh, it wasn't mandatory that you did it. But I think guys got shamed into doing it. But. I don't think I ever saw more than like a hundred bucks on a board. So, what would your final so for folks out there, listeners out there, where money on the board is where a player who signs a new contract or gets something new or attains a bonus throws money in the board. If the team wins, it goes into the team pool. Yeah, and the team will have a function. Well, in our party. No, in our day, it wasn't even 
I looked up tied into that. It was it was you put it up I when did. you when you played against the team that you got traded from. Okay, okay. Like con when you sign a new contract, no, I mean well, today we just went out we just went out and had lunch together. Yeah, like, today they make them all do that. And if they get a new car, they no. go after them. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, it, times have changed. Like, like uh, if we were playing Vancouver, yeah, you, you guys threw a couple hundred on the board or whatever to the guy that scored the game-winning goal or something like that. Yeah, nothing major, nothing ridiculous, and uh, certainly someone signed a, a contract. We might all go out after practice, yeah. and he Stuff may buy a, a round, yeah. and that would be all he was supposed to do. Pretty low key, yeah. You know, it was pretty, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I so mean, it's really like sad. we had guys, like we had a lot of guys on two way contracts. Don't forget back yeah. then too. Like half our team or more were on two way contracts, and they were making twenty thousand dollars, twenty three thousand dollars in the AHL. Yeah, and then they come up to Toronto and they're making eighty. You know, so it was very difficult on those guys. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it was it was one of those things that you know you you look back and. and you think about it, but I, I always felt bad for those guys because they were up and down, up and down, yeah. and going from 20000 to now, mind you, the city they were going to didn't cost as much to live in, but still, you go from eighty to twenty. That's that's a that's a big well, especially uh, guys with families too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the so tough. Well, I think that uh, guys were uh, you know time is always of essence and is our enemy as usual. Billy D, you've got great stories. Uh, you know, any anyone anything you're thinking of that you may want to leave us with before you go? Uh, you can always come yeah, back. I'll right tell away. you the one. Okay, uh, I was best man at Rick Vive's wedding. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, well, this is a good one though. Okay. We go down the week before. We you know eat some lobster, play some golf. We have the social <laughs> parties, and all the parties are done, and it's now for the big day. Eh? Yeah. So we're at his mother's house. God bless her father's house, and. We're getting ready, get the nice tuxedos on and stuff. And I'm in the car. I toot the horn and say, hurry up, we got to go. We got to get going. We're late already. <laughs> he comes running out, gives mom a kiss and the family. He comes in. He goes to sit down. <laughs> he rips the ass right out of his pants from the crotch right to the back. Eh? And it's, <laughs> his butt is sticking out. <laughs> I said, Jesus, you better get that fixed. <laughs> so he... Runs in the house. The mother so is it. My, uh, well, my aunt, one of my my father's yeah, sisters, was, was a seamstress. So yeah, was, so, so. I said, "Oh my God!" And we were late. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Like, and I think Joyce wasn't that happy. That no, was but and the worst part it worked was, out okay. They're but it worked out okay. But they're still married. <laughs> yeah. And, well, the worst part it was, was good. during the ceremony. For some reason, we were each <laughs> uh, lighting a candle. And then we were going to light a, a candle together yeah. from the other two candles. But we had to kneel down to do that. And our backs were facing the church. Oh, yeah. Well, boy, I'll tell you, you've never seen me kneel so gingerly in your life as, as I did that <laughs> day. Because I didn't want my, the, everybody to see my, my whole ass yeah, that was good. sticking out. That was good Even time. though it was pretty good back then. Well, but, yeah, you're you know. in shape. Okay. Well, what a good what town th that Charlottetown is, eh? Oh, that's, I haven't been, but I heard it's a great spot. I used to go every summer for about a week there. You had a golf tournament. Down yeah, there. yeah. Fantastic. Billy came down and spent a bunch of time Crowbush with me. Crowbush is the golf tournament, or the golf uh, course, right? The one that everybody well, wasn't plays. Wasn't there Crowbush? we were there? We, uh, oh, no, Cape Breton? You mean... Uh, no, Cabot. No, but the Crowbush. Cabot Links. Like, Cabot Cliffs Cabot is Links in Cape Breton. No, it's in Cape Breton. I know. No, I meant... Uh, I thought it was Crowbush. In, oh, Crowbush is in PEI. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, that's been that's been there for quite some time now. Yeah, I I, am, I don't get out there as much as I used to, and uh, 
but I think this summer I'm going to go to Cabot. My uh, my sister lives in uh, Glace Bay, and uh, one of my nephews, one of her sons, works there. Caddy's there, so I think I'm going to okay. go down and spend a few days up there, play some golf. And it's a good okay, place. Guys. I may good even place. drag this guy with. Drag him with you. Yeah. All right, guys. All right, Billy. Thanks, thanks very much. Thank you. <laughs> it was great. Okay. All right. good thanks, time. guys. All right, so Billy Derlego, what a character he is. What a uh, character, what a, a wonderful person. Billy and I have been very close for 41 years now when we first met, and uh, we stay in touch. And uh, But, boy, I'll tell you, what a, what a great friend and a funny son of a bitch. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you look at the way the two of you have mended together. Like when you met, It's like Lennon and McCartney meeting for the first time yeah. in Liverpool. I mean, it's at, and best man of your wedding and yeah. – just a character. And I said, if you can watch the YouTube video on the Hockey News website, take a look at that and look at the twinkle in his eyes when he's telling some of these stories. Oh, he loves it. So much more. Yeah. Now, speaking of which, what I didn't get into him with, in the 50th goal you scored the first time around, he assisted on a beautiful pass that you drove through the back of the net. That's what you always taught people to do, you told me. Yeah. When you were coaching. Yeah. And see, I was paying attention there. It's great. Yeah, and well, so they, yeah. And yet, I'm remembering that. You're not my, that old. Hey, listen. <laughs> hey, listen. My Sunday night league, you know, listen. Now, you know, even though I'm still potting you out here and there, we need some help with our Duchess team. We've got to score some goals. But I play enough hockey. <laughs> you I can't enough. play anymore. <laughs> what we got to do is that, I, listen, what I was going to ask you, what did you, did you take him out for dinner after the 50th for that assist? We did that night. Um, and then my sister, I believe, and my brother were in town. Uh, so we went up the street and had a nice meal uh, with Billy and his wife and my wife and I. And uh, then the guy at Mr. Green Jeans, which used to be on Adelaide yep. here in downtown Toronto. Yep. We used to go there quite a bit, and they had those beautiful 36-ounce draft, big mugs of draft. And the guy said, if you score 50, I'll give you 50 free ones. Oh, okay. So uh, got the 50. He honored it. He says, okay, you're going to get I said, I'll tell you what. Can we come in? and take it out in what the value is because I said, well, there's no way we could, we're going to be able to drink 50 of these goddamn things. Ounces. Yeah. So That's... he let us. And so there was a bunch of us. It was Greg Carrion, uh, Terry Martin, John Anderson, Billy, uh, all their wives. Uh, we, we all went there and ate. And I think we drank quite a few of those, though. Oh, you but, put it uh, Yeah, <laughs> we had a good time. And, uh, uh, but, yeah, it was... Uh, but that night, yeah, we went for a nice dinner afterwards, and I uh, treated Billy and, and his wife, and uh, uh, just well, he's a wonderful person. Yeah, I mean, but we'll we'll hopefully we get him back on down the road again some point uh, and, and share some more stories from the past. Oh, he's, sure, got, he's got a million. Sure, this will be conjuring up some thoughts that he didn't think of when he's driving oh, home yeah. to today. So now, just, uh, I mean, some of the things I'd like to touch on, like in the world of hockey going on around us, uh, just some of the things that have happened in the world uh, in the sport that we both love and follow is uh, Drysdale. Just the stuff that's been going on with him recently. Now, he's he now separated himself to be in that superstar class, like that, especially playing he has without McDavid recently and what he's done. Well, in my mind, he I mean, has. obviously he has. Yeah, I mean, he has. I mean, anybody, anybody who thinks he's not in, at that level is 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 crazy. Well, not so much. It's almost like you know, when when Crosby's out or Malkin's out, one steps up and they just distinguish yeah. themselves. So well, this, he just his did that. Mo- this is his moment. Where he, he just did that. that. That's the point I was trying yeah, to make. Yeah, absolutely. He he stepped up, 
got the job done, uh, took over when uh, McDavid was out. That's and that's not just a very. I mean, one of my pet peeves too is is the fact that I mean, this is we're going to have a show on this one day, and I mean, we got to get maybe one of the agents on or something to talk about this. But these players that are deferring guaranteed long term contracts for short term bridges to to garner a little bit more money, and nothing more of an example than the kid in Vancouver Brazzer that got the short term contract and then got a concussion. Now he's out. I, I don't get it. Uh, you know, I. I you're like 22 or 23 years old, roughly, or some somewhere in there, depending on whether you went to college and finished or you came out of junior, what what have you, uh, or you're, you started when you're 18. You're 21 years old. You, you could sign an eight-year deal for a lot of money that are that's going to set you up for the rest of your life. Now, maybe you don't want to stay in that city. That's one reason why you wouldn't take something like that. Uh, but... I, I don't get it. It's uh, why you would take a two or a three year deal, uh, you know, instead of instead of a, an eight year deal. Uh, so if you you took a three year deal at like nine million a year, instead of an eight year deal at seven and a half, but that's a lot more money. I mean, that's sixty million dollars almost, and that's probably should set you and your family and. And your kids and your and your grandchildren up for the rest of your life. Oh, I mean, just look at Jake Muzzin and uh, even Kreider uh, uh, from the Rangers. Yeah, they just signed long-term extensions right at the trade deadline. Then I heard a couple of days later, and out. Yeah, so you never know. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's, it, it's very uh, you, you can't predict what's going to happen in the future. Nobody can, and that's the thing. Something happens, and all of a sudden. Uh, you know, you could be out for the rest of your career. Exactly. And Or your career could be over, and you just signed a three-year deal and only made $27 million instead of almost 60 So if you think about it that way, uh, $60 million is a lot better than 27 Yeah, I mean, I didn't do well in math in school, but those numbers I can't figure out pretty quickly, okay? So, I mean, it you know what? Math was the much. only subject I was really good in in school. Which was why you negotiated with Uncle Hal. But now here's another sub. Here's one that uh, here's a couple that uh, touched the heartstrings. Uh, Bobby Ryan, how about that story? Comes back from not only the background this guy came from, but going through the rehab program as he did. Comes out, scores three goals. I mean, how can you not love this guy? Yeah, I, I tell you what. When I saw it, I I almost cried. I was almost in tears myself because not just that, but what he's been through his whole entire life, uh, the the abuse. Uh, the moving around, the changing of names, and and so on. Uh, it's really sad when you see that alone, and then now what he he's going through at the age he's at now, and to come back and score a hat trick in your first game, uh, fabulous! It was a it's just awesome. One a story stories. for the ages, really. It's one of those stories that yeah. we just love to hear about in hockey, and then of course we go to the opposite end of the spectrum with Bomeister and. What happened with him and just how fast it can all be taken away from you and how you have to respect not only the game, but your livelihood, which is your livelihood, but also your own life. Yeah. And there's a good example of that that I saw last week when I was in Florida watching the Leafs was um, when Steven Stamp goes, I mean, here's a kid knocking on 500 goals, knocking on the door for the Hall of Fame. He's had a couple of serious injuries the last couple of years, and all of a sudden he's up with an abdominal surgery. I mean, he's played in the league 12 years. And I'm just using him as an example, but he's at some point where you have to sit down and say, really, like, I've got to think 40 years down the road. Am I going to be in a wheelchair? I'm going to be walking around with crutches. I mean, when is enough enough? Well, 
I think you're seeing more of that now, Mike, I think, than ever before when uh, guys are, uh, who was a football Andrew player? Luck. Uh, 28 years old. Andrew 28 Luck years old. Luck, the quarterback yep. uh, with the Colts. And at 28 years old, just said, enough's enough. I'm, I'm done. He like, went through a lot of injuries. I want to walk when I'm 40. And, and exactly. And uh, you know what? I, I don't blame them. Uh, and, you know, the other thing, too, is that you get, I think people have to remember is that by the time they're 28 now, if you, you're playing in, in one of the big leagues, you've already made probably $40 million, maybe more. You know what? Is, your, is the rest of your life worth getting bashed, your head bashed in and your legs and your knees and everything else for another five? Or can you walk away and, and have a real good life? and be able to do the things you want to do, go out and play golf and play with your grandchildren. That's important too. Absolutely. I mean, but the problem is you're dealing with elite athletes and that burning fire, well, you know it, I mean, yourself. I mean, that burning fire to compete, it's pretty tough to put that fire out. Yeah, that that part's tough. Uh, I think the toughest part is not having won a championship in whatever sport you're in uh, when you're at that elite level. Uh, I never won one, and that's something that still bothers me to this day, that I never got to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, Bo Meester, he just won a Stanley Cup, his first one. And don't forget, he's 36 years old. Yeah, He's already had a full career. I'd be surprised if you ever see him play again. Uh, yeah. In fact, I'd be shocked. And I, if I was his advisor, I would advise him not to because your family's more important than you dying on the ice. Absolutely. And, uh, that, was pretty, that was pretty scary what we saw and could easily could have not been here now today. Uh, but he is, fortunately, for the good people at the Honda Center in, uh, in Anaheim did a great job. Which speaks volumes to but our But he's 36. Enough. I'm, I'm sure he's going to pack it in. Enough. And, uh, you know, that's it. Live a good life. That's the way it should be. And enjoy it. And set an example for others too. Yeah, exactly. And, and they, they'll probably have something for them to do there in St. Louis too. Oh, I'm sure they will. Within the organization, helping out in some capacity. So, uh, you know what? I I, uh, I remember when he came into the league and uh, uh, a, a good friend of mine uh, in St. John of Brunswick who I kind of, well, I didn't grow up with, but we played against each other all the way up. And when we went there or he came to Charlottetown, we would billet with each other. And he's a scout for the St. Louis Blues now, a part-time scout. And we were talking about that. And he said, yeah, I don't think he's going to play again. And I said, well, I hope not. Look, and he can work for the Heart and Stroke Foundation. He can work for lots of people. Can he can do a lot of he things. He can do a lot of great things. But the most, most important thing is he's going to be able to enjoy his uh, family for a long Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Now, on a closing note here for us, and um, our inaugural podcast it would be, here's something very unhockey-like that was – Actually, my son pointed it out to me the other day with young rookie Quinn Hughes making a comment, and he actually read the comic team where he said that he is the best rookie in the league and should be the rookie of the year, or to that effect, where it's that effect. As a veteran player, if you heard, that's, very, that's more NBA style of talking, that <laughs> hockey players don't talk like that. Basketball players are taught to be like that. Um, that's a joke, folks. Don't send me any emails. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so secondly... Um, as a veteran player, and you read something like that, like are you, is he got Sherwood planted across his back or his across his chest? Like next time you play him, 
Well, if it was in my day, that's yes. what I meant. It'd be a lot worse than that. It'd be more than a Sherwood. It'd be uh, a lot of knuckles too. But uh, today's game's so much different. You can't do that anymore. And I mean, if you do that, you're getting suspended for four or five games and losing some good coin. Uh, why he said that, I don't know. I, I don't know why a young kid would come out and, and publicly say something like that. Um, and he's out of the limelight right now, too. He's out again. I think he's hurt. Yeah. and it, Well, I don't care if he's in, out, what. Just to come out and say that just, as, as a rookie, to me, that's just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to call it. It's just something that he probably never should have said. Yeah. And we'll leave it at that. I think that's yeah. just better left. Going anywhere down the road, but that's just please. If you're listening, Quinn, but he don't say anymore. He'll 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 get some flack over it. Do it don't on worry ice. about it. Do it on the ice. Get some lights. Yeah, like no, we do. exactly. Win the award, and then say, you know, I I earned it. I played my my butt off, and uh, I'm happy that I was rookie of the year. Or as we used to say to guys who used to brag about things that didn't work, I'd walk right up to the guy and say to him, "Let me be the first guy to congratulate you on doing your job." Yeah, no, absolutely. That's right. Because well, that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be the. Exactly. I mean, there was a lot of talk about him before the before the season about how good he was. And okay, he's well, delivered. show us. And he's delivered, but keep it up. He, he has, but it's the season isn't over yet, that's, and the team isn't in the playoffs yet. Exactly. So you got a little bit of work to do yet. A little kid. bit of work to do, kid. All right. Well, Squid. Wonderful day. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Billy D was great. Billy was wonderful. We had a lot of fun. He did. He did. Producer I, Steve, we gave you. We gave you. I think all kinds of material here today to work with. We've got your. I think you got your work cut out for you. We're looking forward to our next one, folks. Stay tuned. Watch the Hockey News uh, website for our next show. For our next guest coming up, we've got some exciting guys coming up for you. Looking forward to tomorrow. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. 